This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. Today I'm speaking with my friend Alex Perry. And you guys, she's an inspiration. Alex is a small business owner and a public speaking coach. She teaches people how to find and bravely share their stories with the world. While Alex does work with business clients and executives looking to make great pitches in the boardroom, she's also working with people who have a powerful message to share but aren't quite sure how to do it well. I love learning how Alex began her speaking career working with patients who were born or without or have lost the ability to speak. That fuels her passion for giving people the confidence it takes to speak simply because they have the privilege to do so. She's got a lot on her plate, but as a mom and an athlete and a professional, Alex has found a way to build a pretty good life, and she even throws a few public speaking tips in this interview for free. So if you have anything coming up on your docket, you'll definitely want to stay tuned. I hope you enjoy this interview with Alex Perry. All right, Alex, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Erica. Yeah, um, I got to say, you are one of those people that I feel like I just automatically connected with when we sat down to breakfast last year. Um, (laughs) You and I, we got together to talk about some public speaking stuff for my book coming out. And I felt like we just sat down and I just, first of all, I talked your ear off. That was the first thing. But secondly, I just felt like (laughs) you were just a kindred spirit, a creative at heart. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. That, has it really already been a year? Since Not we, a full we year, but, but getting close to it. And um, we just, I felt like, you know, we just had so much of the same vibe going on, but like for different, um, for different reasons. Do you consider yourself to be a creative? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's the most fun part of the job. Yeah. So the writing, the thinking, the, you know, what else can I come up with? How else do I say something? Part of the work is the most fun <laughs> yeah, it almost seems, seems like as a public speaker and someone who teaches people public speaking that you would need to have that kind of component built into your personality. I, I think so. I think in order to make it stand out, that was one of the things when I looked at doing this job, there's a lot of in the box public speaking, I don't know what do you call them, vendors or professionals right. out there. Yes. And I, Right. Where it all, you know, if you want to speak better, do this. And and I always say it's how to make yourself into a robot. And mm-hmm. I didn't want people to be robots. I don't want people to be robots. So I, I like the idea of if we're going to get people to talk, let's and teach people to, to, to get up in public speak. How do we do it and have them still be themselves and be be creative themselves? There's a lot of boring out there and we don't want that. <laughs> No, we don't want boring. Right? That's that's not fun for a TED Talk at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So. Well, well, friends uh, who are listening, uh, I, would, I just want to tell you we are talking today with Alex Perry, who is the owner of a small business, Practically Speaking with Alex. And you teach everyone, you teach individuals, corporate executives, you teach everyone how to speak in public for all kinds of different 
reasons, whether that be a TED Talk, whether that be uh, someone that's trying to learn how to pitch their business idea to someone, uh, you know, a level above them, or somebody that just wants to gain more confidence in their public speaking. Um, Alex, can you tell me how you ended up building this business? Uh, practically speaking, you've made it your own. How did you get to this point um, from where you were before? So, yeah, my background, I have been helping people speak my entire career. So it looks a little different now, but my background is as a speech language pathologist. So I spent about 16 and a half years working with people who had lost the ability and or were born without the ability to speak. And I love that work. I love helping people get past hurdles and and found it incredibly rewarding and also knew that there was this component of how else, like, what could I do with what I already know and how could I work with high potential people? I was always the person at work who was, you know, raising their hand to be on a panel or to be a part of a group where the executive leadership team was so I could be around leaders. And I got this idea in my head. It's like, what else could I do with this degree? How else could I work with people? And ended up doing a search uh, for corporate speech pathology and took a look at well, what else could I do in this realm? And there's all, there are all sorts of other ways to utilize this degree and ended up finding a firm in Carmel, Indiana. And I worked for them for about two years and then realized I needed to branch out and do it on my own. So that's when I launched practically speaking and decided that I was going to attack public speaking from from the perspective of it's not we need to speak well all the time whether we're in front of one person or whether we're in front of a thousand and how do I help people do that and how do I help build confidence with leaders and the and, and what an impact we can make that way so that's what I did and my basic underlying belief is man we we all have a message to share and we owe it we owe it I always think about the patients that I served and think about man they would give anything to say what they wanted to say again mm-hmm. right they would give anything for that chance so I I believe I owe it to them to speak well and that we all owe it to ourselves to get our messages out and share those messages well so wow, that is that is such a my, meaningful a meaningful purpose behind what you do. I mean, so so powerful to think of those people that you worked with. Uh, when it comes to public mm-hmm. speaking, you know, people say it is the number one worst fear out there, <laughs> like more than death. I'm sure you've heard that before, <laughs> I, which is crazy to me. Of the population, yeah. Which is crazy to me because even though I'm not great at it and don't love it, I certainly fear death far more. Um, So what do you think it is that makes people so scared of public speaking? I view it this way. There's something about public speaking. There's two things. Number one, we're we're inherently leery of any situation that's going to put us in in terms of judgment, right? right? So we know if we're in front of people we really care about or our colleagues, there's that judgment. Like, am I how am how am I going to be judged based on this performance? So public speaking, in the most traditional sense, puts us in that performance mentality where we get up and we feel like there's a set of rules that we have to follow. And, and if we don't follow them, then we're somehow going to be graded poorly. I I've said it before. I say, I blame elementary school. We, (laughs) you know, like where you had to get up and you do your presentation and there was a checklist that the teacher checked off. And did you do this? And did you do that? And did you do this? And, and that's certainly serves a purpose, but 
as we grow into adults and we think about getting out in front of people and speaking, that's not so much the point. People really aren't grading us like we think we are, but there's that there's that automatic assumption that we're somehow performing. Um, there's the neurological effect of anytime you get a lot of eyes on you, that that will create a fight or flight response, that that, mm-hmm. the, that nervous response. So there's a bit of biology there. But I, I, I view it as we put ourselves in the mindset of I've got to perform versus keeping ourselves in the mindset of I need to have a conversation. I just happen to be having it with a large group. Right. Do you think, have you seen people really overcome the fear through working with you? Do you think anyone can overcome it? I believe that you can absolutely uh, overcome it to the extent of knowing your own triggers and how to maneuver around them. So as far as that, that initial fear response, that initial, my heart starts to race and I might get a little sweaty beforehand. I I have yet to meet anyone who says that they are completely past that, even the most accomplished of the speakers that I've worked with. But where I like to get people is where they're comfortable enough with themselves, their content and how they're going to interact with the audience that that period of time that they experience is very, very short. And then they get into the conversation with their audience very quickly and are comfortable. Yeah. I think uh, one thing I saw that you wrote was our greatest power is our ability to speak. And that immediately made Mm -hmm. me think of, we have like a superpower inside of us. You know, if only we can learn how to use it. Um, Can you tell me about what that means to you? Our greatest superpower is our, or you you didn't say superpower, you said power, but our greatest power (laughs) is our ability to speak. (laughs) What does that mean when you say that? Um, there's a quote and I won't get it 100% right, but it basically says that when we think about, um, if you took away everything that I had, you took away my things, you took away um, my money, you took away my home, you take away everything I have. But the, the one thing I would ask to keep would be my ability to speak because through which I could get everything else back. Mm. So when I think about our ability to speak and communicate being our greatest power, I I think about that. If you took away everything else that I had, if I could still talk, I could get what I needed. It might take me a while. I might have to really work at it, but I could get back what I needed because I can still communicate with you. I can still ask. I can still um, request. I can still make a point. I can prove my value. So that's what I think about um, when I think about this great power that we have. And also tied to that is our ability to share our stories is, I mean, you know this because you're an author and you've shared so openly your husband's story and your family's story that that the ability to speak and to share that story, the impact that that has on other people, the feeling of connectedness, the feeling of I'm not alone. It's, it's amazing when we're able to speak that truth out loud to other people and the impact that it has. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to think of how one, you know, if it's videotaped, how one video can really move mountains for an issue or for people around the country that are, you know, feeling the same things about a certain, certain, you know, issue or uh, problem Mm. they've gone through. Um, If that video happens to, 
go viral or something, it can, you know, raise millions of dollars or it can you yes. know, start a new advocacy campaign or it can uh, prevent someone from, you know, potentially committing suicide if it speaks to an issue like that. It really is kind of another level. I mean, writing is one thing in one art, but being able to speak and communicate in a way I feel in that way, I think really touches people in a much more personal way and in a much more tangible way that they can grasp more so than reading sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you There's s- something about, yeah, hearing someone else's voice, hearing yeah. the emotion in it. Yeah, absolutely. And you also say, um, you, you kind of touched on this, but that um, basically everyone has a story to share. Everyone has a message. Um, mm-hmm. And you help people find that personal message that they have. And you even say on your website that a lot of people don't know what that message is. And I, I certainly resonate with that sometimes when I'm thinking about myself and wanting to do more public speaking and thinking, well, what is my, like, what is my personal message? I'm not sure. How do you help people find that? How, how does someone articulate what their personal message is? The place I start with everyone is just asking questions. Most people, especially the, the folks that I work with. So you think about, you know, we're talking C-suite executives. We're talking high achievers, people who have built careers around a particular industry or service or profession. And, and that's been their focus. And so when we think about sharing what their purpose or what their story is, oftentimes it's asking them about themselves. I can give you a really quick example. There's a, a guy that I worked with just high-powered, high-energy vice president moving into the position of uh, ultimately going to become president and then being groomed for, you know, CEO. They want want this guy to be the head of the company. And, you know, we're talking, and I'm talking to him, and he's explaining all of the intricacies of the business to me, which are fine. It's... (laughs) You know, my, I don't know that I really need to know that, but he's like, no, you must understand all of this. And I'm thinking, okay, but how do people connect to you? How do they know you? The people that are working for you really want to know you. And he's like, well, this is how I process things. And this is how I answer questions. I'm a yes, no, yes, no, yes, no kind of guy. Da, 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 da. And it goes on and on. And it went on for, I kid you not, probably 45 minutes. And I thought, okay, well, uh, you know, I don't, am I going to be able to help you? How on earth am I, am I going to help you get uh, become more approachable to the people that you work with and, and really connect with them on a different level. And about 45 minutes into the conversation, he says to me, he's like, well, I asked him, I said, so why is all of this so important to you? And he's like, well, you know, my mom, my mom was a single mom and she raised me by herself. And my uncle who owns this company took me under his wing. So I've worked at this company since I was 16 years old and I started off, you know, doing janitorial work. And now I've worked my way all the way up here. And I'm like, okay, now there's your story. But he didn't even think, he didn't even think about that aspect of his life as being important to other people or motivating or inspiring to other people. Most of the time we're looking at our own lives thinking there's nothing about my life that's all that special when in fact there absolutely is something about your life or the experiences that you've had that is special, that is unique. And it's a series of, um, you know, reflecting on and answering questions about what is it, what is it that really gets you going and what, why are you here? So that's what I do with people is I, I take the time to sit with them and ask, ask the questions. 
Like, what is it that gets you up in the in the middle of the day, or why is this important to you? Why do you care so much about, you know, I'm working with a guy in documents. Why do you care so much about documents? Why is that important? Mm-hmm. And not from that it makes me money. It, uh, you know, right. the ROI necessarily in terms of time and money and people, but the that internal internal call that we all feel. Mm-hmm. How do how do I draw that out of people? So. Yeah, and you, you've mentioned specifically, uh, you have a specific message for women um, to own their own stories. Uh, you've said mm. that w- women are conditioned to be pleasers. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and how you work uh, with women in that way? Sure. So what you'll find with, with women is that it's, and, not, and this, is, this is a general statement, so not true for everyone, but in many instances, touting our own accomplishments is hard. Because there's the, <laughs> there's the, well, I don't want to make myself too big for my britches, right? I don't mm-hmm. want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to be too braggy. And then, but if I don't say anything, then I'm too meek. And where's, where's the right piece? And where's the, uh, you know, how do I, how do I do this without sounding like, A, I'm overly confident, B, too cocky, C, uh, or, you know, two, there's the, the opposite end of that spectrum is, um, I'm using this as therapy and I'm too weak. Right. And I'm just sad and miserable and that's not motivating either. So, um, helping women identify what is, uh, for them individually, where do they fall on that spectrum of, uh, you know, am I being to overly confident, which is, I don't see a whole lot, or I'm being underly confident and getting them someplace to the middle where they can say, I feel really good about my story. Here's what's been positive about it. Here's what's been negative about it. Here's what I've learned and here's how it's going to help other people. So working, working someone through that process of, of looking at their story that way. Um, there's a piece sometimes that happens with women too of, have and, and men, honestly, uh, have you done the processing through the story enough to be able to share it? So sometimes we run into the, the I'm going to overshare a story or I'm going to mm. share something that's too personal and, and too vulnerable too soon. Yeah. So helping people, helping people figure out when, it, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this in the work that you've done, mm-hmm. but when is, when have we done the processing to know that I can share this message in a way that's going to be helpful and in in a way that doesn't make people feel like they have to help me. Yeah, that's such a good point. Do you find that there's any kind of trick way to know that or is it all just based on individual circumstances? Generally speaking, you can hear it um, as an audience member if I'm listening to someone. If I all of a sudden feel the need to take care of the person on stage, Mm or the person sitting down in front of me, like if I have that knee-jerk reaction that they're not okay, that's my clue. That's my clue that we're at the point where this it's a, this is, we're borderline oversharing. This sounds like this person's not okay. And now all of a sudden I feel responsible <laughs> for right. taking care of or making them feel better about their issue. Um, you can hear it many times if there's a lot of uh, gratuitous detail that's mm-hmm. not necessary to tell yeah, the story. That's so true. I, I totally see what you're mm-hmm. saying there. Well, it's interesting just because we're in a culture now that certainly applauds vulnerability and it's a good thing for sure. But sometimes I do think it 
encourages people to maybe share before they're ready, um, especially in more kind of written posts on social media. But I think in both cases, it's probably best to wait until you have kind of processed through it yourself and are in a, in a healthier place. Um, you talk on your website, you talk about there's public speaking and there's storytelling. What's the difference? Yes. Uh, storytelling. So public speaking, I would say, is anytime you open your mouth in front of a person, whether it's <laughs> one person, a thousand people, that is public speaking, right? Anything that occurs outside of the confines of my head, I am now speaking in public. Storytelling <laughs> is really the sequence of items that you need in order to craft and create a vision in someone else's mind. So when I think about a really great story, a person is telling me something and I can picture myself in their shoes. You've experienced this when you've listened to someone. You're like all of a sudden you realize that you are picturing yourself wherever they are. So you're walking in their shoes. You're seeing what they see. I tell people a lot, don't tell me what happened. Show me what happened. So t show me the actions that you took. Um, a lot of times when people tell stories, they list information versus um, starting right where the action happened. So for example, if I were to talk to you about, oh, you know, meeting, meeting the gentleman that I worked with earlier, I would start that conversation with it. He came bursting into Starbucks. He really did. He was like moving at lightning speed and he bounced on his feet <laughs> and he was so excited that he would not sit down. So all of a sudden you're picturing what's happening. You can hear the, you can see those actions in your head. Um, so you really need to be so a good writer to be a good speaker. I, it does not hurt. Doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt. What right? about what about the physical um, encapsulation of that as a speaker? How much do you incorporate, you know, your own body into that? Uh, when you're telling a good story, the more you can gesture, the better. Mm. So if I'm if I'm again going back to the story I told earlier about Chris and I'm talking about him saying, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Right now I'm gesturing because I'm gesturing just like he did. Mm -hmm. So he would go left to right, left to right, left to right. And you can hear that in my voice. And if you were watching me, you could see it. So the more you can physically adopt the gestures or the movements that help uh, someone understand the story, the better. What I will tell people, though, and I have to put a little caveat, we're talking about the distinction between public speaking and storytelling. Mm -hmm. I am not a public speaking coach who tells people to use canned gestures. So if you're if you were up giving your talk about your book and you had asked me, oh, you know, should you know, should I use this gesture or where should I gesture? I would say, well, where would you normally gesture? Because what I find a lot of times is people try to incorporate gestures that aren't natural to them, and then they don't look natural on stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So if it's not something you normally do, and you don't really, really work on it, then I don't suggest you do it. Uh, storytelling lends itself to moving a little bit easier, I think, because you can picture what happened. Right. And so then you can move in a way that makes sense. What are you, you may, that may have been one of the answers to this next question, but mm. what are some of the most basic but biggest mistakes that you see people making in either public speaking or storytelling? Um, biggest mistakes. I'm going to start with public speaking. Number one, they don't just start 
So a lot of times I've worked with some just incredible people and they will, they'll go through and they'll be introduced by someone. They're almost always introduced and then they'll reintroduce themselves. (laughs) And that's not necessary. Uh, Most of the time I'm coaching people just start. So for example, if you know, I had, uh, I'm going to talk about you, Erica, I'm going to say Erica's an author. She's a podcaster. She's a writer. Um, you know, I'm listing off all of your accolades and then you're going to start in with something about your book and you're going to say, I wrote this because your inclination might be to say, hi, I'm Erica. Thanks so much for being here. Don't do that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You've, you've already been introduced. Start right in the moment. I wrote this book because I'm passionate about my husband. Now I'm winging words here, but I, right. I want you to get a sense of what that sounds like. I see people make that mistake a lot. Uh, I see people read a lot. I uh, use their slides as crutches. When I think about what an audience wants most out of you, they want to understand you. They want you to be natural and they want to be included. So anything that that separates you from those three things makes it hard for your message to get across. So do, if someone's giving a big speech, say like a mini mm-hmm. TED talk type of speech, mm-hmm. so you're recommending no notes whatsoever, not even note cards? I don't mind note cards or small note cards. I just don't want you to read them to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you can look at things. Well, uh, if we're talking about gross errors that I see, I see people reading mm-hmm. directly. Like holding reading, up a piece of paper. <laughs> holding up a piece of paper, staring at a slide. So back to in the more corporate world, people who will use slides that have entirely too much information and then read it to people. Uh, we came to listen to you, so we want to hear you. I don't mind. I don't mind if somebody has notes. I don't mind if somebody glances at their slides, but don't read to me. What's the best thing to do if someone's kind of in the middle of their speech and all of a sudden they just completely blank and they start to bomb? Mm. What's the way to get yourself back up in that situation? Uh, so bomb because they've forgotten where they are. Yeah, they've forgotten where they are. They've lost their train of thought. They need to get back on track. Is there kind of like a, a transitional sentence or something that you recommend people do to kind of get back into the zone? Mm. What I tell people to do first off is to pause, which is hard incredibly to do. hard. <laughs> yes. People are like, no, don't make me be quiet. Your pause is never, ever going to feel as long to the audience as it does to you. Mm-hmm. So taking that moment to pause, I also tell people walk over and get a drink, mm-hmm. take a look at your cards, do something, let there be silence. I actually prefer silence to a canned phrase. Mm-hmm. If you get to the point where you truly can't remember, you can say something like moving on and just move on. Go on to whatever you know is coming next and circle back later. Right. Your audience doesn't know your content. That's true. Well, and also on that same note about pausing, I was watching one of your speeches that you gave before we talked today, and Mm. I noticed the importance of those longer pauses, leaving space in between your sentences, which, like you said, as the speaker, that feels like an eternity. But I assume that you think that's an important thing in in the whole presentation of the speech is to make sure you're, you're leaving enough space for people to think and ponder on what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. They call it the dramatic pause. Yes. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's not even dramatic. Sometimes it's just that you, we forget that we know our own stuff so well inside and out. 
but the people listening to it are often listening to it for the very first time. Mm-hmm. So you do need to create space for them. You have to allow them a little bit of time to catch up to where you are or for a powerful moment to sink in for sure. How do that you, was a good question. Yeah. How do you teach people to do that? Do you have any practice? Uh, like, okay, do this and then you'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't generally have people practice the flubs. I, <laughs> I have them look at their, right. I have them look at their content and say, where would be a natural place to give space? So generally, it's at a moment of tension, or if you're asking that an audience member, or if you're asking a question. So, and either asking a question either because you're inviting true participation from the people you're talking to, or just because you want people to think. So those would be natural places in a conversation that you would leave space. Mm, okay. So when you look at your work, and I'm sure you work with a whole bunch of different kinds of people, but when is a time that you look at what you do and you're, you just walk away really proud? Or do you have any moments where you, you know, a particular type of client or situation where you've looked at that and said, this is why I do what I do? Um, I have a f- really fun story that it, you think about the reasons why you do what you do and what's meaningful to people. I worked with an executive who was coming to me, not just because she had to speak in front of groups. She did all the time and she had some nerves around that, but she came to me because she had, her daughter had asked her to give a toast at her wedding. And she looked at me and she said, Alex, I kind of hope I get in a car wreck on the way. (laughs) And you know, the immediate reaction to that, it's like, no, you can't possibly think that. However, if you talk to most people, we can exist, many of us can relate to that sentiment of, oh my gosh, I want to do this, but I really don't want to do this. Or no, I don't want to do this at all. And I hope something terrible happens. So I don't have to. Mm -hmm. And so what I, I think back to working her through helping her first write it, then practice it, then practice it again, and then practice it over and over and over. I mean, at nauseam, I am a believer in you have to put the reps in. Um, you do need to practice. You do need to say your material over and over and over again to get it to the point where you're where you're pretty darn comfortable with it, so you can handle a mistake. You know how to pivot in and out of whatever you um, whatever flub might happen, and so getting her to that point, and then having her be able to go give the speech, and she's like, my daughter cried. Everyone stood up and clapped. I felt like a million dollars. That was one of those moments that I thought, I mean, it it doesn't change, you know, it doesn't change anything in the big corporate world, right? But it changed her and it changed her daughter and they got to have this perfect moment that she wanted and she didn't, you know, she's like, maybe I'll just drink a bunch of vodka before I go. (laughs) No, you're not going to drink a bunch of vodka before you go. You know, just getting her to the point where, Doing something so special didn't incite the idea that I would I'd rather get in a car wreck than be a than yeah. be a speaker at my own daughter's wedding. And that's a memory, I mean, that they're probably gonna have on video for the rest of their lives. Oh yeah. Yes. And the things that she said to her and the uh, the way that she was able to convey I mean, they had all sorts of, you know, like moms and daughters do little in between um jokes and, and things, and I just thought, man. 
how lucky am I that I get to be a part of that? I think anytime I get to be a part of anyone's personal story, whenever anyone's willing to sit down with me and share an ounce of who they are as a person, not just as a professional, I consider that to be a massive privilege. It's yeah. just, just such a privilege to be able to be in that space with someone and then to help them realize that they can do a lot of good by sharing what they know about life. I mean, we can never hear the same stories or the same mm-hmm. advice, good advice enough. Right. Right. So, so what do you say to someone who's like, I'm going to have, you know, two shots of vodka before I <laughs> get up and speak. I, I assume you don't <laughs> recommend that for anyone. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you think that does? That, that does that probably just make someone's nerves even worse? I would think. Um, I think I actually think that it might make you too relaxed because, because there is this point. So think about it this way. The, the feeling of fear and the feeling of excitement are physiologically the same. Mm. So some of it is how you, you phrase it. You can tell yourself over and over again, again, that you're scared or you can tell yourself that you're excited. Oh, I like that. So I do. I do believe in shifting the framework and saying, this is what excited feels like. My heart's racing. My hands are sweaty. And I feel like I'm going to go a million miles a minute. You add two shots of vodka to that, what you might end up with is too much talking yeah, <laughs> or forgetting stuff isn't or it, not representing yeah. yourself well. Isn't it true that it's like that first 15 seconds or so that you need to kind of, okay, get through that and then your body will start to relax a bit? Yes. There's actually a researcher out um, of um, University of California and Michael Motley, and he looked at the heart rates of anxious speakers, like really high anxious speakers, and then moderately anxious speakers, low anxious speakers. And what he found is that most people follow the same pattern, no matter where they fall on the scale. It's you have the peak of heart rate right during that first minute, and then it tapers off. The degree to which it tapers off depends on where you fall on that anxiety scale. So if you're a highly anxious speaker, you know, you're going to have a drop off, but you're still staying pretty high. If you're a low anxious speaker, you're, you know, going to have a little peak and then drop to almost imperceptible. But yes, it's that first minute where you have a lot of trouble. So I have a great tip for that. If you're one of those people that runs on the high anxiety end. That's me. Okay. Oh, and I told you this tip. Remember I told you this at the gym? Yes, I used yes. it, but tell and everyone that's listening. Yes. yes. So if you're one of those people, the first thing I would tell you to do is have the audience talk to each other. Ask them a question and then have them answer it to the person sitting next to them or the, uh, or share it at their table. We call it parent sharing. So find someone and tell them the answer to this. And then let the audience talk to each other for that first minute, even two minutes. And that gives you the chance to catch your breath, to get your composure, and then to feel the energy of the room, to really get present and be with the people in the room. And then you can have them answer out loud. You can develop a little interaction that way. And then you can move forward. How did that work for you? It worked great for me. I I was just really the starting point is really the most terrifying for me. I feel like once I get started, I I'm okay, but it's just that getting into it. And so I did exactly what you recommended and Mm. it was so great because by the time they had all been chatting and talking, everyone's kind of laughing a little bit. Then, then you have to kind of pull them back and like, you're ready to go because you're like, okay, I need to start now. Like I want you to stop talking. (laughs) So it kind of puts you in a 
position where you're like, I'm not, I'm no longer waiting to have to go. Now I'm waiting because I, I want to start talking. So Ugh. it was awesome. So thank you for that tip. And I'm sure other people will use that. Now you are one of the rare people that appears to love your job, which is awesome. Um, I don't think most people can say that, unfortunately. Um, mm. What is that like to be able to 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 ha- own your own business and at the end of the day be like, I genuinely love what I do. When I get up in the morning, I know that I'm doing what I should be doing. Oh, what's it like? Simultaneously thrilling and uh, it's it's challenging. So I'm an entrepreneur. So every, everything, everything comes and goes from, from me. So I am a one woman show. I run, Do you have an assistant? I run this. I don't No, I run everything on my own at this point. I, I take that back. I have um, a girl that helps me with editing, JC. I love you, JC. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, she will help me occasionally with editing, but for the most part, this is, this is what I do. And so that comes, that comes with a certain set of challenges. So I don't want to make it sound like it's all cupcakes and roses all the time. It isn't, but there is, um, I, I love to work hard. I love to be challenged and I love, I love that I get to help other people. So this fits the bill on every level for me. So even on the days where I'm like, vey, you know, send out four proposals and get three no's. Those are hard days. And I know at the end of the day that I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing and that every, every opportunity and every, if you want to call it a failure, every no is just an an opportunity to learn and get better. Mm -hmm. So I'm big into practicing what I preach. So if I'm telling my clients that you've got to get out there and try and try and try again and find opportunities to do things over and over and over again, I'm telling you that because I do the same thing and I know that it's powerful and that I, and I know that it works. So, but it's, it is pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Very cool. Very (laughs) cool. And you're doing such a great job with it. You, I know you relaunched your website this year and you do all kinds of fun videos. You have your newsletter and I just love how you make it your own. And it's just, it's really cool to watch. So congratulations on everything this year that you've been doing. Thank you. Vice versa. (laughs) Vice versa. Well, (laughs) (laughs) go ahead. Sorry. The author, podcaster, mom extraordinaire. (laughs) Well, I was just about to bring that up because we didn't even touch on it, that you are also a mom and um, you do lots of other things in your life. So tell us a little bit about that side of you and how you, you know, this elusive question of how do you find balance, which there is no real answer to that. But in your life, what does balance look like and what else do you love to do? Mm. So there is no balance. I don't believe in balance. I believe in there are extended periods of doing whatever work needs to be done and spending time with whoever needs the time mm-hmm. from you. So I don't have balance. I don't, it, it's, that's not possible for me. I used to believe in routine, but I don't, as an entrepreneur, even that's out the window. Mm-hmm. So, um, gosh, how do I, well, you have, <laughs> ask me you, the question ha- again. you have three kids, right? Yes. Yeah. So I have two older step kiddos, Kayla and Philip, and they are both grown and out of the house and are wonderful young adults. So we balance time spending like that looks like you, you know, what it looks like with your parents, right? So mm-hmm. we, we visit each other on weekends when it's possible. We, um, 
do family gatherings with them. And then my daughter, Carmen, is 13, and she is, we, sh- I have joint custody of her with her dad. And so she's here half the time. And so when she's here, my, de- my time is devoted to her. And then when she's not here, I get a boatload of work done. So there is a, uh, uh, there are positives and um, negatives to that situation, but we work pretty well as a blended family. So I get to I get to do that, and then I think it's really important that she is able to see that she has a mom that works, and that, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, that she's not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. That work is important, and that mom working is important, and um, I. I like to show all of the kids that struggle is real and here's how you get past it. So we're realists in our house. And so we try not to hide the, the hard parts. So if I get frustrated over something, they see it. And there's, uh, I share a story at the end of one of my presentations where I talk about finding an accountability buddy and how my kiddo Carmen is definitely an accountability partner for me. Sometimes a buddy, yeah. I was I was practicing a talk and I got so frustrated and I put my head down on the counter and I was like, I can't get this part right. And she walks up to me and she pats me and she says, it's okay, mom, just keep going. Aw. Just keep going. I guess that's the perk of your kid getting older. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, she's using my own words. Like, look at that. That's cool. Maybe I'm raising an okay human. That's awesome. I love that. Well, and you also, this is how you and I met, uh, you're also a big fan of CrossFit and oh running. <laughs> and so I was going to, usually I ask people, what's a daily ritual or something that you do to kind of keep yourself on track? But I have a feeling you might say. Yes, you you are 100% correct. I, uh, exercise for me is both therapy, um, release mandatory. I love food. So (laughs) (laughs) what do you love Uh, about CrossFit specifically? Oh man, that it's hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I said this earlier, there's something about looking at a task and saying that is, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like that's impossible. So when I started CrossFit, there was no way I I was like pull-ups who can do a (laughs) pull-up. That's ridiculous. And then next thing you know, you spend enough time in CrossFit, you are doing pull-ups and you're not only doing pull-ups, you're doing chest to bar pull-ups. And the next thing you know, you're doing bar muscle-ups. So it's it's that push. And for me, it's the one time of the day and running can be like this too, depending on how hard you run, where I have to focus so intently on what I'm doing that I cannot think about anything else. Mm. So there's no space. That's, and I, I yeah. love that. That's, it's almost like meditation in that way where mm. I don't know about you, but I am not good at doing meditation. I, I try, nope. I struggle. <laughs> but, but when you are pushing yourself to the limit physically, you really do have to take your mind off all those other things that may be kind of weighing your brain down. And I never thought about it that way, but I would say exercise is my meditation as well. Yes. I thank you for saying that because I often feel like a meditation failure. I am. And I know that, I know that people swear by it and they really feel good after afterwards. I can't get myself to that place with it, but I can go and I can do a 10 mile run or I can do CrossFit and I can get there. Mm -hmm. And I I imagine the benefits are roughly the same. Yeah. I no scientific Mm. studies, but I'll agree with you there. Um, All right. Deal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, want to ask you a couple end of the podcast questions as we kind of get to the end of the interview here. What is one piece of advice you would want to pass down to your kids or to the next generation? One piece of advice. 
do it. I, I mean, I, I don't want to sound cliche, but just keep moving. Life isn't meant to be comfortable. I think there's too much in today's world, especially with social media. You you only see people have fun, or or you see. So I guess sometimes you see the opposite end of the spectrum of people ranting and raving. But right. uh, there's this, I think, this proliferation of, oh, it should be fun and it should be easy, and and this came this came with no effort, and that's not true. So. Um, Keep moving, keep going, and and do it when it's hard. If if life, if all of these things were easy, everybody would be doing it, and they're not. So I, that would be my my piece of advice to them: is keep moving and keep pushing hard, because it's when you stop doing that that I think life stops, that the rewards stop. So mm-hmm. I think that's pretty solid, pretty solid yeah. advice. <laughs> yeah, just keep moving, keep going. All right. If you could have dinner or drinks with any celebrity, who would it be and why? Maya Angelou. Oh, that's a good one. Why is that? I want to uh, to hear her speak, to ask her about her process with writing, mm-hmm. to ask her how, you know, I, I've read several of her books. I got the opportunity to hear her speak. Mm, gosh. Oh, cool. It's probably been about seven years ago. She was at a a convention, a speech pathology convention. I got to hear her speak. Uh, so just to sit in that space and listen to her speak, but to ask her, uh, you know, I've heard all these wonderful stories about her, about, about how she kept boundaries, about how words were used in her home. And I want to know more about how she did that, you know, and she'd say the walls hold the words. And I think that's such a fascinating thing and the amount of respect that she had. So I have so many questions about how do you do that and how do you, you know, how did she get past? She's talked about having imposter syndrome herself. She mm-hmm. would say every time she would write, like, they're going to find me out. And right. so to be able to sit and listen to someone who so clearly not an imposter talk about feeling like an imposter would be amazing. Yeah, you know, just I could probably have a whole other conversation about imposter syndrome. <laughs> but mm. I, I <laughs> often remind myself of things like that. Like, if someone like Maya Angelou could have imposter syndrome or many other people, successful people that we would all know of, yes. uh, you know, I, I often get doubts in my head about all kinds of things. And I just say, you know what? They thought that too, but you just have to keep doing it. Like, pri- you know, like your prior advice, you just have to keep moving and yes. don't believe the lies in you, your head. Yep. And eventually, I like to believe you, you get to the point where you don't feel that way or you feel that way less of the time. Mm-hmm. Less yeah. of the time. I think that's a reasonable goal. Maybe not never, but less of the time. Yeah. I just think, you know what? I'm just, uh, it's, it's, it's stronger to, you know, keep going in the face of feeling like that than to just give up. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of sometimes mm-hmm. what the only thing that can keep you going in a bad moment. But um, yeah, my Angelo, great answer. I was just listening to an Oprah podcast today and, you know, Oprah, that's like her oh, spiritual mother yep. and she talks about her all yes. the time. So yep. <laughs> I was just hearing something about her earlier today. Um, do you have yes. a book that you, a book that you swear by or that you like to give people or just one that you really like a book? Uh, a book. Oh gosh. I like all books. I'm, <laughs> I have a problem with buying too. them, with buying them, with reading them, with rereading them, 
Do I have just one? Does it have to be within the realm of no? It can be anything. Public speaking? Oh no, not oh, at all. Gosh. Just anything because I just love a good book recommendation. Oh gosh, this is kind of stolen yeah. from Tim Ferriss because he always asks people what's a book that they like to gift to other people, uh, which I don't do that, and I want to start doing that. <laughs> so I kind of stole the idea from him. <laughs> Yeah, I tend to, I don't have a particular book because I like to give people books that I think they would like. Yeah. Um, so I, I tend to be probably more, more selective in that way. Like if I were to give you a book, Erica, I would want to be very mindful about which one it was. I love all sorts of books. What I'm reading Becoming right now by Michelle Obama. Okay. So I could ease, I could see myself giving that book to someone, um, I feel like anybody could probably benefit from reading that book. Yep. That's fantastic. Um, oh gosh. I don't, I don't have just one. That's, that's well, a that's, lame no, answer. No, but that's but a, I'm it's not you. a lame answer. Cause that's good. Cause just to know what you're reading now even is really interesting. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's certainly one that yes. many people are reading around this time. And it's, it's definitely on my list. So we will, we'll make sure we get that in the show notes. All right, last question. Uh, do you have any, I don't know if you're a podcast listener, but do you have any favorite podcasts or maybe TV shows or anything else that you're kind of into right now? <laughs> sure. A, a podcast I am obsessed with. I'm just oh, obsessed okay, cool. with this person in general is Cy, Cy Wakeman. I don't know if you know Cy Wakeman. I don't, but no I want ego. to if you're obsessed with him. Yes. <laughs> Who is he? Yeah. Uh, well, she, she's, oh, she. it's, she's a woman. Okay. She's a woman and she's in um, Human Resources and she has a whole whole, this whole concept about around work and about the ego. Mm. And she has basically her premises, our ego gets in the way of us doing great work all the time. And we need to put the ego aside and raise to our highest level of self in order to be able to do our work well. And so she talks all the time and I've stolen this phrase and I've, I've used it with clients and I, I, in a group of people, I will say, I only work with the willing. So if you're not willing, I, I will never be able to change you, but if you're willing to do work, I can help you. I can help you. But I, I, if you're not willing to do the things that are required to participate in coaching or to become a better storyteller, then, then you're not for me. And so she talks about that from a human resources organizational standpoint and the way she speaks, the clarity with which she speaks is just phenomenal. So if that sort of thing interests you, yeah, definitely absolutely. check it out. There's applications across. I mean, it applies to everything. Yeah, I was so, going to say, I'm sure you think about your take it and put it in in any situation. Yes, in your relationships, like wow, I've got one heck of an ego right now. I need to, I need to tone that down. I need to tone that down. So, <laughs> well, I think it, I think that sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out. All right, Alex. Yeah. Well, thank Good. you so much for joining me today. Well, thank uh, it was really you. fun to talk to you. Uh, there's so much to unpack in everything that you said, but I think we all got, we got a little tidbit of what you do and got a, even a few free tips in there, which is always a fun thing to do. So, um, yeah, thanks awesome. for joining me, and I hope to see you soon. Me too. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Okay, guys, I hope you were taking notes. There was a lot of good advice in there about how to do public speaking well, as well as a, a few what not to do, right? So I hope you were inspired. I hope you'll visit Alex's website. We're going to link all this in the show notes. Please know everything we talked about is always on my website, ericaanderson.com, when this episode is released. So head over there if you wanted to get any books or links or anything that we talked about. Thanks again for listening. If you're a listener, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. 
and I will see you next Tuesday. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.